Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. I give you thanks this morning. I give you thanks that we're in a gathering of those who love you and call upon you out of a pure heart. And we desire most of all to be connected and we desired most of all for you to reveal your purpose for our lives. For without you, we are nothing. Without you, we are at best lost and confused and bewildered. And we pray, Lord, that your word would be a lamp unto our feet. That it would give us understanding, even now, our spirit to be nourished by every word that proceeds from your mouth. We pray that you would just open up our lives to be a reflection of your glory, of your grace, of your love. And that we might have understanding and walk in this understanding. That we, in you, might be the light of the world. That our lives would be filled with peace and joy and contentment and satisfaction. As we live each day pursuing your desire and pleasure. We pray that your word not return void, but that it would per, per, uh, provide and purpose all that you have for us, Lord. That each day of our life would be lived in your mercy and grace. And that we might dwell in the house of the Lord forever, being connected with your people, with your presence, with your purpose for our lives. We pray, Father God, that you remove anything that restricts and hinders us from receiving your word this morning. And give us a heart for you. Give us a desire to live for you all the days of our lives. And Father, now we pray that you would do exceedingly abundantly above all that we have prayed. For you are omnipotent, all-powerful, mighty God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I was preparing for today's sermon, I was looking at John 3.16. And I was saying we have a huge responsibility for three areas of our existence upon the earth. A lot of us don't understand the Bible. A lot of us haven't had 30 years of going in there. So uh, in our limited time on a, on a very short basis here on Sunday morning, I, I want to give you three things. There's, there's incredible power in the number three. Um, besides, as a child, it was my favorite number, but... But three allows us to understand things in a premise, I believe, that, that is according to something spiritual. Uh, I think in the creation of man, God said, let us make man in our image and likeness. And it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's three in the Godhead, the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We, the men, were made in that image being a body, physical body, a soul, and a spirit. So God is triune, and we are triune. And, and I believe that if, if we grasp three things this morning out of this verse, uh, we're going to be able to fare well in this life. And I just want you to keep track of, of this number three. Um, I'm always, uh, when people ask me, how could God be three? And they don't know, and, and I always bring up the, the egg. Um, the egg made out of a hard shell, a yellow portion that's the yolk, and then the white 
part that's the white of the egg. The, the egg being the hard part, the yolk being, and you say, what is the egg? All of it. Well, what is not the egg? There's no part of the egg that is not the egg. And so I, they, they, they say, give me another example. I say, water. It's, it's solid, gas, and liquid. And it's all H2O. It's all the same thing. It doesn't matter what form it takes. It's water. And then um, you see the old Latin word, onum trium perfectum. It says everything that comes in threes is perfect. And so that I understand now that verse in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, as the angels stand at the side of the throne of God, and the Bible says they cry out unto one another and say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. That, 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 they don't say it four times. The Bible says they cry holy, holy, holy three times in a row. And they've been saying this um, since they've been put in that place. And, and when I was a youth pastor, they're not on broken automatic pilot going holy, 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 holy. Holy, holy, holy. No, these guys are freaking out at the majestic presence of God. And they're like, holy, holy, holy. And they've been doing this for all eternity. Not because they're on automatic pilot. They're looking at something that when our eyes behold... You're going to be blown away. Every man who's ever stood in the presence of God has immediately fallen as dead in his presence. Because they can't take it all in. It's just too huge. And the angels there crying, holy, holy, holy. In Revelation chapter 4 verse 8, it says that there is a scene at the throne of God. And there's four beasts and they have six wings. And they were full of eyes all around and within. And they do not rest day and night. These angels crying, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. <coughs> Listen to the threesome. Who was, who is, and is to come. Past, present, and future. Beginning, middle, and end. Jesus Christ, Hebrews 13, 8 says, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so in each spectrum of these threesomes, we see God ever-present, omnipresent. And it, it really stinks when people say, well, my past was horrible, and my present doesn't look too good, and I'd rather not get to my tomorrow. You know why? Because they have forsaken what today we need to hear, that God wants to be a part of your past, of your present, and your future. That God has already defined your past, your present, your future. I came to the Lord when I was about 16 years old, so I had a pretty much crazy uh, upbringing. Even though in the normalcy of the Cuban culture, there's a normal Cuban life. But in the presence of God, that's called dysfunction. That's called something twisted. We weren't supposed to live pursuing the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That, that wasn't what God had for us. That's a, a little mixture there. It was supposed to be Jesus Christ from the day I was born, Jesus Christ in my midlife, Jesus Christ when I go to heaven. 
And so that postures you in a decision you make as to what you want to do. But even in now that I understand how God saved me and delivered me and brought me into his presence, he has restored my past. And you say, how could he do that? Because he lives in eternity. He lives in the ever-present. We have a past. God has an almighty ever-present. And he always lives in the now. So the scenario is he's taking care of my past in a wonderful way. I can't do that, but he can. He lives in eternity. He redeemed my past. He was able to go back there and just, I don't know how he did it, but it's, it's settled. It's all great. It's all fantastic. I don't have to continue to look in the rear view mirror of life and, and just be sad the rest of my life. So Paul talks about 1 Corinthians 15.3. He says, this is the third time that I visit you. That not, that's not the verse yet. Let's, let's look at this threesome here. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received. Christ died for our sins. That's a, a reality according to scriptures. Verse 4, he was buried, that he was buried. And number 3, that he rose again the third day according to scriptures. Now, going back to John 3.16, I, I want to live, leave with something practical because a lot of people get lost. And I want you to understand three aspects of our life upon the earth. It says God. That, that, that needs to be settled and resolved in your life. The issue of who is God? What is God? Where is God? Why God? You need to, to get to the place where that is resolved in your life. And some people will say, well, I believe in God. Uh, God is, uh, my God wouldn't send anybody to hell. They, you, 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 you're not in tune with the, with the almighty reality of the true living God. You can't, you can't formulate a God according to your passions and your lusts and your lies. God is God. Nobody makes him. He always was. As some of the atheists says, in the beginning man created God according to his own image. That, that, that God is a creation of man's need. And no, it's not. God was from the beginning. And if you read the first part of the Bible, Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning God. So he was there when it all started. He was there before it all started. In the beginning God. And if you don't go back to the beginning you're going to be real confused. A friend of mine wrote on uh, a, t uh, a post in his blog. He says, well, there's a drama queen and she expresses her sentiment to be sad. And she's upset because nobody accepts her for who she is. And I, I was like, let me look into this a little bit because I don't understand. And I wrote back to him and I said, listen, I don't understand, but I figure that if you start at the beginning of things, that clears up the future. If you start at the beginning of the definition of a man and a definition of what a woman is, then you don't have an issue down the road of being sad or treated in a manner which is improper. And he says, well, you don't understand this because you're a Bible-believing fundamentalist. And basically what he was saying is, you believe that there's a definition for things. But I live in a world where there's no definition. I don't know who God is. I don't know what a man is. I don't know what a woman is. I don't know their function. I don't know family. Um, a lot of people 
have in our generation most of all have come to the place of saying we don't need definitions why does everything have to have an order why does everything have to have a basic premise Ravi Zacharias went before a large audience at a university and one guy in the, se the session where he allows for questions stands at the microphone and comes over and says uh, Mr. Zacharias I have one question for you why does everything have to make sense why do you guys want everything to have an order and a place and he says do you want my answer to your question to make sense or do you want me just to tell you just anything and just come up with any crazy answer? So in his very question, he's asking for why there needs to be order and definition. And so that is the craziness of our life. But God wants us to know, and, and it's, it's ever necessary. If there's anything else we do as Christians, going back to John 3.16, we have to know this issue of God. What, what is God? Where is God? How can I find Him? Let me just tell you that the central figure of this entire amazing book called the Bible, the central figure, you can say it to your neighbor, hey, it's about God. It's about God. This is not about you. It's not about religion. It's not about philosophy. It's, it's not about imposing a religious doctrine or creed. It's not information. It's about God. And so one of the things that you'll know about God is you can never hide from Him. There will never be a time where you can get away. You, listen, you can get away from my preaching. Just stop coming here. Stop listening to what I share from my heart regarding the things that concern God. But you're never going to be able to run away from God. And so uh, the psalmist very well put it in Psalm 139 verse 7. He says, where can I go to hide from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? You guys tell your neighbor, nowhere. You could hide from your mom, you could hide from your dad, you could hide from your family, you could hide from the church, you could hide from a denomination, you could hide from the youth pastor. Kenny, put your guys out there. But you can't hide from God. Settle that once and for all in your mind that you're never going to be able to, in verse 8 he says, if I climb the highest mountain to reach the peaks of of the heavens there God is well you know what I'm gonna go to a nightclub I'm gonna go to an all-gay nightclub I'm gonna go to an erotic gothic hell-ridden demon-possessed he says if I make my bed and comfort in hell behold you are there I've heard some crazy crazy realities of God's presence I heard one man was a hit man and he had a, a, a contract to kill another man. When he got there to the house, there were five men there and he shot the first guy execution style in the head. He shot the second guy, the third guy, the fourth guy, the fifth guy. He just killed five murder, uh, five deaths right there. And here's the voice of God saying, I still love you. 
And Jimmy Hughes was blown away and fell to his knees and gave his heart to the Lord right there. And started a ministry to tell the whole world you can't flee from his presence. If you're the most wicked and sinister person alive, God is there and he's speaking to you. It just happened to be that his grandmother was a Christian and was praying for him at that very moment. And so God goes through the spirit of murder, the spirit of death, the spirit of of greed and tells this man, I still love you. We can't understand the love of God. Some of us are upset with that already. But here the Bible says, if I make my bed in hell, God is there. Listen, you might think that some people are so twisted and so crazy and so deformed and so overwhelmed by their wickedness and that God would have nothing to do with them. But my Bible says where sin abounds, the grace of God overabounds. When there's deep twistedness, the love of God is most revealed. The example is the man who's preaching to you this morning. I, I, I was telling somebody, when God came knocking at my door, I began to say, I don't believe you exist. I don't believe you're real. I don't think that what you say is true. Who was I at the age of 16 to be questioning God with such disrespect, with such dishonor? I had no clue. Now I, I, I shun to think that I would ever Lift up any accusation against God. Verse 9, the Bible says, If I were to take up wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. You get in a little boat, a little boat to China, right? Like the song. And you leave far as you can from everyone. If I take and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, I guarantee you there'll be one person on that boat and his name is God. Verse 10, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Verse 11, if I say, surely darkness shall come upon me, even night shall be light about me. Even in the nighttime, the light shall be upon me. Um, We talked about young girls who have gone into witchcraft and the Wicca religion. And they're sacrificing and they're doing cauldrons and they're doing spells and they're doing potions. And God breaks through all that to tell her, I love you. I forgive you. Come to me. The voice of God. We have, uh, I think it's Cy Rogers, his name. He was born into a house where his mom and dad were fraternity buddies. She was a sorority buddy, fraternity. They were alcoholics. They get married after the university, they have a little beautiful kid called Cy Rogers. And then all of a sudden, the mom, the father goes away on business trips. The mom brings in a lover. She's having sex. They're getting drunk. They're alcoholics. After she passes out, the man goes around the house and he rapes Cy at the age of two, three, four for years. Would come over and molest him. And all of a sudden... She dies of a DUI accident. She hits a tree and she dies. So the father has to work and grabs Sai at the age of four and takes him to a relative's house and drops him off. And the relatives raise him for an entire year. The father comes back. He's remarried again. He found somebody, got remarried, went to pick up his son, brought him home. 
And Cy Rogers grows up to be a homosexual, grows up to be a transvestite. He grows up to say there is no faithfulness in homosexual relationships. I'm going to start a heterosexual relationship, but I'll be the woman and then I'll be with a man. So it goes through a sex change. It starts the process of a sex change and becomes a woman. And right there he's doing his daily meditations and the way he thinks about his spiritual proclivities and hears a voice saying sigh I want to redeem your manhood and he's like who is this he says it's Jesus and he starts hearing the song yes Jesus loves me he says he remembers that when he stayed with his relatives as a child they used to take him to church and now the Sunday school songs are coming into his heart and he says how do I know that this is true show me give me a sign and the very next day John Hopkins University and Hospital, the transgender department, announces on the first page of, of the newspaper that they're closing down because transgender operations are not the answer. And they closed down the entire clinic where he was going to get his operation. He was on a waiting list. And so he says, okay, this is a sign from God. So he goes and joins a local church, and God begins to restore him and, and redeem him. He gets married. He has a family. And he goes all over the world telling people about the love of God. Only God could do that. Only God could transform a man. Like it says here, surely the darkness shall fall upon me. If I'm looking for wickedness and twistedness, even in the nighttime shall the light be about me. Verse 12. Indeed, darkness shall not hide from you. But the night shines as the day. The darkness as the light are both alike to you. Why? Ask yourself the question, why? Verse 13, because you were formed by God. You formed my inward parts. You were there in my mother's womb together with me. God was there at the very beginning. And we, we need to know this personally. And then we need to be able to go out to this world and share it personally. Because if we do not share it, the world will never know. Their description and understanding of God is foreign. They don't know the goodness of God. They haven't seen the reality of His presence. And, and our responsibility is to be able to share with all men. Grab your number one finger here and say, God. God. If you begin to describe who God is... And you put words to him while people curse. I remember one girl was at the bowling alley and, and she had a shirt on that said, God is a dog. And I was 20 years old and I'm just starting out my relationship with God. And I looked at that shirt and I said, God is a dog. So I walked up to him, her and I said, excuse me, ma'am. I noticed you're, you have a shirt on there that says, God is a dog. Where did you meet him? She just looked at me like super weird. And she says, what are you saying? I said, you've never met God. Because if you met God, you wouldn't be wearing that shirt. If you understood the love of God, if you understood who God was in the essence of his existence. But we're so far from knowing God that we begin to describe him in those terms. Deuteronomy 4.29 says that the only way to know God is to get on this venture, but that from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find Him if you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul. All those questions I had about God when I started were totally twisted. Why? I didn't know God. 
I didn't know the thoughts that he had for me. Jeremiah 29, 11, where he declares, I know the thoughts that I have towards you. And so just so that we don't get confused, he tells us what these thoughts are. Says the Lord, thoughts of peace. Same word, prosperity, shalom. That you would have everything that you dreamed of. Listen to me. Everything you ever desired in the fulfillment of your purpose. This is why the Rolling Stones could sing their famous song, I Can Get No Satisfaction. Yes, I try and I try, but I can't get it. I can't get the fulfillment of what I expect in this life. How many are expecting an incredible wife or husband? Raise your hand. Absolutely. There's the, I don't want a loser. I don't want somebody to make my life miserable all day. My expectations are high. Who put those expectations there? God did. God is the one that put our expectations. Who, who expects to prosper and be fruitful and have money? Raise your hand. That's your desire, your expectation. Some of you want to be poor, right? No way. We don't want to be depressed and poor and deprived and deficient. We want to flourish. We want to, we want to be fruitful. We want to multiply. We want to pay our mortgage off. How many say amen? God is the one that has thoughts of peace and prosperity, not of evil, to give you a future. Some people kill themselves. In the last week, I've heard of two men that have killed themselves. One of them was taken after a domestic violence to the prison and jail right there, the local jail. He was drunk and hung himself. When the cops came back, the guy was dead. Another man is, is in prison. And, and he's found dead in the mi- middle of everyone who's serving time there. He decided there's no future in this. But there are some people that know God and have a future and a hope and know God's plans of peace and prosperity to give you a future and a hope. Well, then why can't I see this? Verse 12, when you call upon me, then you call upon me and go and pray. Listen to me. If you don't know that God is there, you're not praying. You're not talking with God. You're not expressing your feelings. And, and when you know that God listens, and I will listen to you. This is our responsibility as a Christian. For God, for God, this, this aspect of God. And a lot of us are acting like God doesn't exist. And we have become our own gods. And we have defined our own dictionary. And we have made up our own ways. Verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I, I have found God. It wasn't at the beginning when I was acting foolish, when I was questioning him, but as I began to pursue and, and look for him and, and follow him and obey him. We were talking about that on Wednesday. Some guy says, oh, I never heard, I never heard of God. I'm not, I, I don't, why doesn't God talk to me? Look, God told you to get baptized. You haven't got baptized. God says don't miss church. You miss church all the time. God says to be faithful and you're unfaithful. Why would God continue to talk to somebody like that? You have done nothing God has asked you to do and you want to say God doesn't exist and God doesn't talk. And his, his desire, Psalm 30, uh, 73 verse 28, it's a good thing for me to draw near to God. Is that it? 28. 73, 28. 
For it, it is good for me to draw near to God and put my trust in the Lord that I might declare all your works that I can tell... I could sit here for an entire year without stopping telling you of how God has shown up in my life. In every expression, in every way, shape, or form. At every moment. I still remember the time I was being a little rebellious and I was walking into a parking lot and all of a sudden that, what's that called, the, the, toll, the toll booth thing? The pole? Did it let you in? The gated communities? And I'm walking in this parking lot, and that thing came down. Whack! Boom! I was thinking some stupid thoughts. And I needed a pole to hit my head. And I, I looked up, I said, thank you, Lord. He's been there at every second, at every moment, at every turn. To show himself real. And the good and the bad, even that. that that's not fun getting hit by a pole. But if you're thinking stupid thoughts is good. So God might direct your paths and, and discipline you. We were reading at the men's meeting. Some of you guys don't come to the men's meeting. If you're sitting next to a man, say, are you a man or a mouse? Because they've told you there's a men's meeting every Monday night from 8 to 9. There's a men's meeting 8 to 9 every Monday night. And so this week we were talking about this man who's acting dumb and he's far from God. And all of a sudden a big hand comes and writes, you, my friend, are in trouble. He doesn't understand that. What trouble? What's that? That's a, I need somebody to interpret that mighty hand that I see. You know what? It's the hand of God. The writing is on the wall. You just don't know. So they bring Daniel over and they say, hey, King, it says there that your heart is in a balance and, and God is not happy with what you're doing, the way you're walking, the way you're talking, who you're with, where you go. God's not happy with that. And if you think that's going to be left like that, you got another thing coming because God disciplines those he loves. God will deal with you. All these philosophers that decided to hate God and become atheists when they're in their deathbed, they've risen up their fist to the heavens and say, you, Messiah, have, have overcome. You've shown yourself powerful in my stupidity, in my foolishness. They say they don't talk, they, that God doesn't exist. Who are they talking to? God. They know he exists. They know that God is contending with our spirit. He desires no one to go to hell. He's paid a big price. How many, how many go pay for something real expensive and then leave without it? Anybody ever done that? No. You pay for something and you pay with the blood and the life of your son. You're not going to sit there and let Satan take that from you. So he's contending with man that they might all know him. And he finally says, every knee shall bow, every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord. It's just a matter of time before you surrender. But God wants it to be now. So it's a good thing for you to draw near to God and put your trust in him, that you could declare his mighty works. And John 6, says, no man can come to the Father. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. It's God who draws you near to Jesus. That's why you're sitting here this morning. Where is God? He brought you here. James 4.8, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. 
I love this verse in Deuteronomy 17, 18. It was a requirement and a commandment for every king upon the earth. And listen to me. There's disobedient kings. There's rebellious kings. There's foolish kings. But every king upon the earth. This is the law. Ready? Deuteronomy 17, 18. And it shall be when the king sits on the throne of his kingdom. Who is that king? Tell your neighbor that's you. You're sitting on the throne of your life. You're making decisions. You're thinking about things and you're drawing judgments. When you sit upon the throne of your kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in the book from the one before the priest. He's going to sit there and grab the word of God and he's going he's to fill out his own book of wisdom to be able to make decisions that are consistent. With being a king. Verse 19. And it shall be with him this book that he shall have. And he shall read it all the days of his life. So that he might learn the fear of God. And be careful to observe all the words of the laws and these statutes. Verse 20. That his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren. That he may turn, not turn aside from the commandments to the right or to the left, that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. This is a book of kings, my friend. This is a book for the instruction of wise people. And God has provided us this book for us to be able to walk in blessings. You begin to describe God, you're going to have to say he's perfect. You can say amen. He's holy and righteous and loving. He's kind and friendly. He's helpful. He's forgiving and compassionate. He's discerning and cleansing, healing, delivering, restoring, moving and creating, destroying and fulfilling, providing, teaching, training, freeing, reproving, addressing, confiding. He's courageous and victorious. He's protective. He's infallible. He's trustworthy. He's responsive, he's honorable, he's legit, he's reliable, he's of good reputation, he's praiseworthy, he's glorious, he's known in all places, he's beautiful, he's loving, he's living, he's amazing, he's abundant and rich and adequate, he's worthy, modest, pure and real, he's wholesome, safe and beneficial. He's imminent, prominent, remarkable, extraordinary, supernatural, miraculously astounding. When you talk with anybody upon the earth, make it your first priority to bring God to the conversation. This is what you need to give your friends and your loved ones. This is the greatest thing you could ever do is let the world know about God. John 3.16, for God. And then we got to walk into some people know God. How many know the devil knows God? How many know demons know God? The Bible says they believe in God and they tremble. They just don't obey. They're rebellious. They believe in God. They know God. They've seen God. Yet they do not serve him. So John 3.16, for God. And then the second part, so love the world. This aspect of love. You could know God and not be in his love. Those of you that want to get married outside of God's love, you're going to live hell on earth even though you know God. 
God wants us to know his love. God wants to know the depth. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3, verse, I believe it's 20, verse 17. Ephesians 3, 17. That Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in his love. That you grow your life out of his love. Not out of his wrath. May be able to comprehend, verse 18, with all those believers. What is the, the width? I'm, I'm blown away by the width of God. I, 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 from east to west, I don't see its end. What is the width of God's love? What is the length? How long will God put up with people? Have you ever given yourself the task of pretending you're God and you have a button to just like push to let people drop into hell? How many times have, would you have pushed that button? My, my button would have a wear on it. It's like, oh, okay, psh, you don't like God? Oh, psh, okay, oh, you don't want, psh, okay. How about your button? How many people would you have sent to hell? And that's where we understand the love of God. It's patient. It's long-suffering. It doesn't get irritated. It's willing not to keep track of wrongs. Love covers the multitude of sins. When I came to the Lord, I had one of those, you know those trains that have 65 cars that you count one, two, and they're just coming with loads, and you're like, when is this ever going to finish? I had an endless train load of sins. And that's why to him who much is forgiven, he loves much. We love God because he first loved us. And it's motivation of God. It's not his duty. It's not his royal obligation. What moves God towards your life is his love. And he wants it to be extravagant and lavish. That's why he gave his son. He wants you to know that the price of your salvation was willing to be paid by his son on the cross. That his blood is the price of that, of that immense extravagant love. He's not playing games. Some of us got a rose for Valentine's and some of us got 12. But none of us got the red crimson tide of the blood of a son to show forth our love. To show forth our passion. And yet the Bible says that he gave us his son that we might know his love. He says that you might comprehend what is the width, the length, the depth, the height of his love. Verse 19, to know the love of God which passes your ability to understand. Why does God want us to know this love? So that you might be filled with the fullness of who he is. As you know, there's no confusion. There's no, I, I, I don't know, I don't understand. No, listen to me. His love is wide and vast. That's why no one is going to have an excuse the day they stand before his throne. Because he gave the greatest that we might give the greatest response. There is no doubt he loves us. There is no doubt that he's passionate about his creation. John 5, 39 Jesus had to come and say, you search the intellectual, theological understandings of the scripture. You search them deep, for in them you think there's life eternal. But these only talk about me. These testify of me. Every page in this book is not so you become a religious bigot. It's so that you might know God. It's not so you become a Pharisee. 
It's not so that you could condemn people. It's so that you might know God. And you search Him. Verse 40. You're not willing to come to me that you might know what life is all about. You have an opinion about life outside of God. You have a twisted opinion of God's existence, of your existence, of anybody's existence. People have described humans on earth as a cosmic joke. Like if God is playing games, like if he's making fun of things. Well, that's what you can believe if you don't know the love of God. That's what you can think when you're far from his love. Verse 41, I do not receive honor from men. I'm not looking to impress men. Verse 42, but I know you, that you still have not found the love of God in you. You still might know about God. You read about God. You even go to temple and talk and worship what you do not know. But you, don't, you, don't, you haven't experienced the love of God. When you do, something happens. Something happens when we, when we understand God's love. 1 John 2, 5. 1 John 2, 5. He who keeps my word in him, verily the love of God is perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. As you begin to keep, listen, we were saying it the other day. The Ten Commandments are not to be kept by men. Men are kept by the Ten Commandments. Some man, a friend of mine, wrote a book called The Tender Instead of the Ten Commandments, the tender commandments. That God is making provision to call men to a safe haven. How? By honoring your mom and dad. By not taking what's not yours. By keeping the Sabbath. By not killing. By not stealing. By not cheating on your wife. All these things will keep you in the love of God. And if you decide to trample the love of God, you're going to see the consequences. 1 John 5.3 This is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. They're not troublesome. The more you keep of the way of the Lord, you're going to have more peace, more joy, and things are going to come out right. The more you keep his word. I used to think, man, all this stuff is so hard. It's so difficult. Thank God for obedience to his word. They bring peace to your life. You sleep well at night. You're not going to need a psychiatrist. You're not going to let your thoughts run rampant. And the thoughts of men are all over the place. They're hearing voices in every direction. Well, we were destined to hear the voice of God that breathes peace, joy, prosperity, fruitfulness. His word, a lamp unto our feet so that we not stumble. Some of you want to walk at night. Proverbs 20, 20 says, The, the son who despises his dad and does not obey his mom... His lamp will be put out in deep darkness. My friend, you're driving your life without headlights. You're going to go off a cliff. You're going to hit a tree. It's going to be a rude awakening for you. So listen to the commandment of God to honor your mother and father that it might go well with you and you live a long life. That's, that's a blessing. That's the first commandment the Lord shared with me. I thank God for that. John 15, 13, no greater love has any man than this, that you lay down your life for your friend. When, when you see what Christ has done on the cross, you begin to live that reality and you begin to give your time. And you get up on the cross for other people. And you're up there saying, Lord, forgive them. They just don't know what they're doing. 
But I'm not going to get upset. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to go with a gun and shoot somebody. I'm not going to get bitter and get some migraines and some hernias. Now, now the love of God is made real in me because I understand to lay down your life. To know God, to know his love. To know the vast expanse. It's described like this. In verse uh, Romans 8:38, I'm convinced that nothing could ever separate me from God's love. Neither the things dead nor the things of life, neither angels nor demons, neither the fears of today's nor the worries of tomorrow, not the powers of hell can separate us from the love of God that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 39. There's no power in the sky above and none on the earth below. Nothing created can separate me. Nothing created could separate me from the love of God. And so this is powerful. But I want to finish with John 3.16 where it says, God loved, and then it says, gave. The gift of God. We are responsible for knowing God, knowing His love, and knowing His gift. And there's no greater gift than His Son. In John chapter 4, as, as Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman, and there's no way for her to understand. And he says these words to her in a marvelous way. This is John 4. Let me look for this real quick. It's really powerful. Verse 10. Jesus answered and said to this woman who didn't know anything about anything. And he answered, he says, if you knew the gift of God... Wait, listen, I don't know how you're going to do this in the coming days. My prayer as your pastor, as a, as a leader of this church, is that we might know God and press into it. If you're being negligent with your knowing God, repent. Come to know him. Not to, to know the religion, not to know the church. Come to know God. And then come and experience his love. Because you can't give, like David says, what you don't have. If you feel rejected... If you feel that God has not been there for you, come and experience his love. And third and lastly, his gift. He's a generous God. He's a giving God. All the other gods of their nations are going to ask you for your firstborn. They're going to say, you know something, come and sacrifice. If you go serve work and you become a workaholic, you're going to be able to sacrifice your family so that you might prosper. But here the God we have says, if you knew the gift of God and who says to you, give me drink, you would ask him and he would give you living waters. He would satisfy your every thirst. Psalm 37 verse 4 says that delight yourself in him so that he might give you the desires of your heart. I, I haven't stopped enjoying since 1983 the goodness of God in his gifting. I haven't been able to, to, to supply my source exceedingly, abundantly above all that I pray and ask. God has done things super far above the measure of my desire. I'm satisfied. I'm pleased. So on Thursday, I was saying after I asked God for everything, I said, now what do you want? He says, let's change the world. I said, amen, let's do it. Because he had given me everything. So what do you do with someone who gives you everything? You begin to lay down your life. I love Songs of Solomon 8, 7. It says, The many waters cannot quench love, nor will rivers overflow it. 
A man who were to find true love will give all the riches of his house for love. It would be utterly despised. Whatever you put on one balance, and then you got the other balance with regards to the love of God, the goodness of God. You're like, see you later. I don't need anything but God in his love. I, don't, I could be satisfied in his gifting, in what he's done at a marvelous, uh, at a marvelous precise. Let's go to James, please. The Bible says that James 1.17, if you're going to start knowing God and experiencing his love and being lavished by his gifting, it says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Then why are we going elsewhere? Why are we going somewhere else to find what we desire in gifting when God has it from above? And it comes down from the Father, from God. And there is no variation of shadow, of turning. In my book, Restoring the Gates, I, I write on the fountain book. He's the fountain of all our needs. He quenches all our thirst in every direction, every size, every magnitude. Cannot compare to the goodness of God. And so I say, what are we doing running to other places like the donkey with the perpetual carrot in front of his nose you're never going to have the carrot because it's a lie it's a deception but surrender to God so that it might become a reality and that you might sit at his banquet table and lavish yourself your lifetime your family your children the greatest gift we can give mankind is to know God to know Jesus Christ and so this morning those three aspects the Bible says that a a, a three strung cord, Ecclesiastes 4.8, is not easily broken. Let me see if it's that. It's not, when, when we're talking about a, a three strung cord, I'm sorry, 4.12. Though one might be overpowered by another, two can withstand them. But a threefold cord is not quickly broken. God, his love, and his gift. Do it with me, please. God, his love, and his gift. No power in hell can break that cord. Knowing God, experiencing his love, and knowing the gift of God. Did you say, God, I have these things in my life. If you don't get them there, and if you do... Can you please share them? Can you please make it your, your responsibility in this life to call your friends and your family, your, your best friends, and say, I want to talk to you about three things. And if we never talk again, I just want to make sure that you have them. Understand who God is. He's not the God of this world in regards to darkness and twistedness. And disobedience. The Bible says the God of this world has blinded men so they do not come to God's knowledge. It's not like the devil who takes. God is a giving God. The descriptions of God are, are seen every day. I just called a young man into my office this morning. I said, listen to me. I'm sick and tired of you seeing everything but the goodness of God. Because if you put your eyes on the goodness of God, you'll have a smile on your face no one could ever take away. And of course, we have things in our life that we could be sad and, and, and constantly bitter 
and upset. But if you decide to put God as your passion and the central figure of your existence, you'll have joy and peace every single day. Count your blessings. Count him. Count your blessings in his life. Make that a three-strung cord. Let's stand this morning and say, Lord, I want to press in to your reality, who you are, to your love that I can, I, I can measure, not my bitterness, not my resentment, not my unforgiveness, not what the devil tried to do to me to separate me from God. I want to know God. God is revealed in creation's existence, but he's revealed as the central figure of this, of this book. His life is revealed in the life of, of knowing God is to know his word. To be able to speak with God is to, to allow this to reveal itself in your life. Day and night so that you might prosper in all things. I praise the Lord for coming into our lives and revealing himself and showing forth his love and allowing the gift of God to come. Allowing the gift of God to come into our lives and to be able to partake. And, and see, the devil is trying to always point us in other directions, other priorities, and we're missing out on it. We're being distracted. We're being entertained by an onslaught of stupidity and foolishness, and we're slowing down our trek. And a lot of men, when they reach the pinnacle of life, the end of life, they look back and they say, you know something? That, that didn't seem like it was worth it. You know why? Because they walked far from God. They walked away from the glorious call of the Lord. They did not participate. They, did not, they weren't part of his plans. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, eyes have not seen ears have not heard nor has it come into the heart of man's imagination the things prepared are already set in place for you to surrender to this life and all its glory that you might enter in to his purpose this morning if you have heard the voice of the Lord do not harden your heart if you you've perceived how important God is his love his giftings, which are unending, without ceasing. Could you raise your hand? I would like to pray for you. You said, I heard God this morning. I see that it's important that I become a vessel of His reality, His love, and His grace upon the earth. Father, look at the hands of those who have heard your word, have come into the house of God, and they have just heard what you have for them Lord I pray that you would make it theirs not not only by hearing but by the realities of the experience of who you are father I give you thanks for a precious heart to be sensitive to your voice we're not gonna take this grace in vain Lord we're not gonna make it of little to do oh God but we want your life to be our life. We want your truth to be our reality. We want to be able to share with others that are living miserable, God-forsaken lives in this earth. They're without hope and without God in this world. And it's our responsibility, our opportunity, our instruction to go and to tell men 
that you so love the world that you gave your only begotten son that whoever might believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life and we give you thanks this morning in Jesus name we pray in the house of God says amen amen and amen